0: Low light might help worship. It doesn't help us pay attention during the sermons. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1. How are we doing, friends? We're here. You're here, right? Amen. You made it. Praise God. Here is good. Here is good. What's the Yogi Bear quote? I might need Ralph's help with this. Uh, 100% of life, is 90% is showing up. Half of life is 90% of showing up or something like that. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, moving beyond yogi bearisms, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, shall we? Hey, I'm going to read the whole passage through. Uh, The Bible says that we should read God's word in totality. I always find it helpful to hear the whole passage, not only as I study it, but even as uh, I teach it. And then hopefully um, you get to hear it a couple times as we walk through it, okay? Uh, A couple um, things to pray about. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, Kevin and Lauren Pagliano. So that's uh, Rosalind and Vince's son and their daughter-in-law. She is giving birth right now. So pray for Lauren. Pray for the baby. They've been trying really hard for years to, to have a child. This is a big deal for them. Um, They don't mind me saying that, but pray for them. So hopefully it could be even happening tonight. Uh, Everybody know Fran and Bill Barnes? Bill with the beard, you know Bill with the beard? Uh, So his wife Fran is in the hospital down in Barnegat right now getting gastric surgery. She's in a lot of pain. So when we pray at the end, we're going to have prayer goals. But if you could be thinking of them, Lauren Pagliano, the baby, and then Fran with her stomach. Uh, Let's rise for the reading of God's Word like we do on Sunday. Sound good? We're going to start in verse 1, Hebrews 1, verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here we go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is even more excellent than theirs. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me as a son. Verse six, and again, when he brings the firstborn of the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Verse seven, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Verse eight, but of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe that you will roll them up, like a garment that will be changed or they will be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. We pray that you would be with us during its preaching, its teaching, its receiving, believing, and application as well. In the glorious name of Christ, amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everybody. All right, so um, there's many different important questions that will shape our lives. There's many different times where you're put into a place where you're going to have to answer this question. Now, oftentimes, our answers can be shaped about who we're answering to. You get that? Like a little seven-year-old boy who's playing on the playground, and he's getting into trouble as he's having fun, he might talk to his friends in a different way than when he gets taken down the principal's office, right? So the answers to the questions that we give are probably hinged upon who we are answering to. But this is the question. More than any other question, this is the ultimate final one. This truly is a matter of life and death. This question, this one question, truly is a matter of eternity, It's a question the whole Bible asks. Ready? Who is Jesus? Who is he? That is the preoccupation of not only the New Testament, but that's the anticipation of the Old. Who is Jesus? And what does it mean for us to not only worship, dependent upon that answer, but share? When someone asks you who Jesus is, then what do we say? And how do we respond? When we come to the book of Hebrews, right out of the gate, in dramatic fashion, the author of Hebrews answers that question with an answer that we can't even fathom. The Jesus of the book of Hebrews is great. The Jesus of the book of Hebrews is glorious. The Jesus of the book of Hebrews should not only lead to worship, but probably should lead to the increase of our understanding of just how big our Jesus is. You remember the first answer, right? My goodness, we just read it. Long ago, many times, in many ways, talking about God speaking, God spoke to our fathers, the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, what does it say, church? By his son, okay? The same son, as John says, that God created the world. Okay, here we go. Whom he appointed heir of all things, if you're taking notes, underline that, through whom he created the world, Hebrews and John, Colossians as well, overlapping, communicating the same truth. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Wow. The exact imprint of his nature, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only that, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, so right out of the gate, verses one through three, a little bit into four, tells who Jesus is, truly magnificent. I mean, if we really just ponder every single attribute described about Jesus and attributed to Jesus in this passage, that would be enough for the book of Hebrews. But what the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to do is to proclaim this vision of a big Jesus. But how many of us know that sometimes it's easier, or or let me say this, helpful to answer a question by who or what something is not? So the first three verses is this is our Jesus. Upholds the universe by his words, created the universe. The radiance of the glory of God. But he is not a mere angel. You can't can't shrink Jesus. You can't limit Jesus. You can't define Jesus by other biblical categories. It's an exercise in futility. So what the book of Hebrews is about to do is about to explain how Jesus is no mere angel. Because there's a lot of people that are trying to understand who Jesus is. To be honest, until the veil is lifted, that the Apostle Paul talks about, until they are given eyes to see, they could read the Old Testament, study the law, the prophets, the writings. They could pour over, devote them whole, their whole lives to the Hebrew Scriptures, to the Old Testament, and never see Christ. But when you see Christ, when you believe in Christ, he's on every single page. He's on every single page. So that's why he says in Days past, he's spoken through laws and prophets. Now in these final days, these last days, he's spoken through his son. The law and the prophets point to the son. And that's why the author of Hebrews is going to make a very, very reasonable, logical explanation from the Old Testament why Jesus is superior to angels. In fact, that's the rest of the book. The rest of the book is the author of Hebrews explaining how Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is superior to covenants. Jesus is superior to the priesthood. Jesus is supreme over all things. And he starts out the gate talking about angels. Now, just as a brief, quick discussion, when you think angels, what do you think? Go ahead and tell, say it out loud. Lucifer. Lucifer. That's true. He's not wrong. Lucifer's a fallen angel, right? Very good. What else? Light, good. Encompassed by a great host, good. Katie, yeah, very good. What's that? Warrior, Warrior. good. Now, uh, you've heard me teach on this before, and perhaps when you study the Bible, you realize this. Um, When angels visit people in Scripture, they don't sit back and say, oh, Look at this cute, pudgy little thing floating on an angel on a cloud playing a harp. What's the response? (laughs) Let me fall down on my face because I think I'm about to be destroyed by God. (laughs) Fear. They were warriors. Very good, Elaine, right? They were warriors. Now, I I heard this great story, and I'm just going to read it for you because I want to get it right. It's a story from a book Billy Graham wrote himself, and it tells about this missionary family that saw a miraculous intervention of these messengers of these warriors it tells this story the book is angels by billy graham ready on a dark night about 100 years ago a scottish missionary couple found themselves surrounded by cannibals you heard me say that right cannibals intent on taking their lives that terror night terror-filled night They fell to their knees, and they prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionaries heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. But as the sun began to rise to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's heart soared to God. It was a day of rejoicing. The missionaries bravely continued the work. A year later, the chieftain of the tribe, praise God, was converted to Christ. As the missionary spoke with him, he remembered the horror of that night. He asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them. The chief replied and said this, Who were all those men who were there with you on that night? The missionary answered, Why, there was no men with us. There was just my wife and myself. The chieftain began to argue with him, saying, There were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with swords drawn, encircling about your house, and we could not attack you. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. We see in Scripture angels revealing themselves now here's the truth angels i believe as bible teaches are always near are always present it would be a great bible study to understand what does the bible say about angels we're always fascinated with angels oh but let me be clear here this isn't to teach on angels but this is the book of hebrews chapter one is to teach how christ is superior to angels In the Gospels, we see Jesus interact with angels a lot. For example, his conception was announced by the angel. Do you remember which angel? Gabriel, right? Number two, his birth was announced by angels. Number three, he was tempted by a fallen angel. Number four, he was ministered to by angels subsequent to his temptation. His teachings is filled with references to angelic beings. Number six, He experienced the ministry of angels in Gethsemane. Number seven, he could have appealed to 12 legions of angels at any time. Number eight, angels were present at his tomb following the resurrection. And number nine, angels were present at his ascension into heaven. Clearly, you can read about not only angels in the Bible. You could also read about angels interacting with Christ in the Bible, But what the book of Hebrews is trying to say, it's trying to address a question and fix a problem. Because while we see angels in scriptures, and they are powerful, they are mighty. And while we see Christ engaging with the angels in the four gospels, there was a certain false teaching that was circulating, especially through these Jews that were trying to understand, okay, how can God be one and also the Son of God be God? The Spirit of God be God. Well, perhaps Jesus was a mere angel. Perhaps he was just a mighty one, a mighty messenger of God. And that's why right out of the gate, the author of Hebrews says, no way. That's not what not only I'm teaching, but what's he about to say? That's not what the Old Testament teaches. You see, the book of Hebrews is very, very helpful, not only for us, many of us are Gentiles trying to understand the Old Testament But even for our Jewish friends and neighbors, because he is going to turn to many different teachings that talk about Christ from the Old Testament. So Albert Moeller puts it like this. He says, the argument is clear. What we're going to see, the angels worship Christ in this passage. It is not Christ who worships the angels. In this passage, the angels declare the birth of Christ. It is not Christ who declares the ministry of angels. The angels are not called sons, but that is the very name that Christ himself, the Davidic Messiah, has inherited. Right. So, during this time, in global history, but also in redemptive history, there was a very interesting preoccupation and fascination with angels. Between the time of Malachi and between the time of the first gospel writings, whether Matthew or Mark, there was a lot of rabbinic thought and discussion during this second temple era, as they describe it, right? During Herod's temple, about angels. So when this false teaching comes and fills the minds and tickles the ears of some of these new believers, they think to themselves, all right, we can believe what we're instructed in the synagogue, that God is one, and perhaps Jesus was just an angel. No, it's not the case. And what Hebrews is going to say is that it's never been the case Quoting Old Testament, quoting scripture after scripture. So our Jewish friends call the Old Testament a certain word. They call it the Tanakh. Can everyone say Tanakh? Tanakh. Very good, very good, okay. So the Tanakh, and what the Tanakh basically means, you break up those three different parts of the word, those three different sounds, and they all point to something specific, okay? So the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is broken down in the three components, three parts. The first one is the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So that's the T in Tanakh, okay? The next part is the Nevim, which is the N in Tanakh, which refers to the prophets. The third one is the Ketavim, which is the K in Tanakh, uh, which refers to the writing. So that's like wisdom, literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, things like that, okay? What this author is going to do masterfully is he's going to pull the first three examples from each part of the Tanakh. He's going to pull from the Torah, he's going to pull from the prophets, and he's going to pull from the writings. This is all part of his not only investigation, but proclamation of Jesus and his superior superiority over angels. So let's look at the passage. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? He's quoting from Psalm chapter two, verse seven. Once again, talking about how angels are not referred to as the son of God. There's a couple, maybe two or three loose allusions to them as being created by God and therefore sons but not the son. In fact, if you want to turn to the end of this chapter, we already heard what an angel's purpose is, what their identity is, and it's not the son of God. If you look at me with that last verse in the book of Hebrews, or the last verse in chapter one of Hebrews, it says this, it tells us what angels are and, who the, and what they do. Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation, okay? So angels are called to serve those who inherit salvation. Hebrews is saying, no, the Old Testament has always prophesied that the Messiah would be the son who grants salvation, not angels who serve those inheriting salvation, but the son who gives salvation, right? You are my son, today I have begotten you. Do you think that word begotten tripped up the early church as far as how they understand that Christ, as John says, you remember the gospel of John, studying it, the word was with God, the word was God, and through the word, God made everything that there is. But it says he's begotten here. So like, what's up with that? How do we understand that? There'd be other times and other places where the language is firstborn. This doesn't mean that God literally conceived of Jesus. This doesn't mean that God necessarily created Jesus. Jesus has always been with the Father. Jesus is God. And you could see it even in the creation account. Even when you study the book of Genesis, where God is speaking everything into existence, which is Christ, but then even when they are making men and women, what do they say? Let us make men in our image. Meaning Father, Son, Spirit. In fact, when you read the prophecies about Christ and his birth, his coming, specifically from the prophet Isaiah, what do you see? Jesus is called our everlasting father. He's called our wonderful counselor. He's called our prince of peace. And he was always going to be referred to as what? Our mighty God. This is always who Jesus was. It's always who the Old Testament anticipated him to be. So he is the son. The language begotten is speaking more to the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone has that relationship with the Father. It's a place of prominence. There are those in Scripture that were attributed the place of firstborn, even though they weren't firstborn. Remember Jacob and Esau. Remember Solomon. Whenever it talks about firstborn, it's not always talking about chronology, even though Christ has always existed. It's talking about pride, of place, prominence and preeminence. It's talking about how this relationship between God the Father and God the Son is so intimate that there is no substitute. There is no angelic equivalent. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus. So it says here, in the second half, building upon that point, quoting from Second Samuel chapter seven verse fourteen, Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Speaking of the relationship between God the Father and his Messiah, that he is Father and he is Son. Verse 6, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. How did we begin tonight's service? Reading from Revelation chapter 5, where there's a myriad, thousands upon thousands and ten thousand upon ten thousands of who? Angels worshiping Jesus Christ, right? That angels worship him. Christ doesn't worship angels, angels worship Christ. In fact, angels will never receive the worship of anyone in Scripture, but Christ, because he is God, gladly receives it. So, in verse 5, we see that Jesus is not an angel, but a son. Jesus, now in verse 6, is not an angel, but the one the angels worship. In verse 4, we saw that Jesus has a superior name. And now we see in verse 5, Jesus has a superior position and a superior honor. Let's look at verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, which is directly from Psalm 104.4, speaking of God's creative power through his son, that the very winds that the angels, I guess, fly upon are created by none other than Christ. Verse eight, but of the son, he says, now that's an important introduction. I want to say it explain in a moment your throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of unuprightness is the scepter of your kingdom for you have loved and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions okay let's stop right there how's everybody doing good it's wednesday night it's a lot of teaching okay This is really, really important, so I want to kind of slow down and go full stop. What did we just hear? Well, even before he quotes the Old Testament, notice how he speaks of the Old Testament. He says here in the beginning of verse 8, But of the Son, he says. Okay? So, what's God doing? When we read Psalm 104, verse 4, even though it's attributed to a psalmist, what your Bible's saying is every single time... The Bible speaks, God speaks. So each psalm is attributed to like David or Moses or Solomon, the sons of Korah, but it's in fact God speaking. So he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, uh, but of the son, God says, okay? And then what does God say of the son? God speaking to the son through the psalms. This is awesome. Listen, God says of the son, what? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Wow! So God the Father is saying of God the Son, your throne, for, your throne, God, is forever and ever. Isn't this neat? This is amazing. And how do we understand this unless Jesus has always been a proclamation as both divine deity and God himself? Okay? So that's a uh, quote now from Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, speaking to a superior Honor, okay, and then a superior power, and now a superior status. He talks about the scepter, which is the imagery of uh, a king, but also righteousness, which many of the kings of Israel never exhibited. Okay, verse 10, we're almost there. Verse 10 says, You, Lord, speaking of who? Jesus, right? You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish. Gosh, did you hear that? They will perish, but what? You remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Boom. God is saying to Christ in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, what? that the foundations of the very earth itself, the foundations of heavens are not only the works of your hands, Jesus, but you will roll them up like a garment. That's how big our Jesus is. How many of us have to do laundry on a daily basis? Now listen, when you have four kids, and my wife will testify better than this than I do, there's nothing about laundry that's easy, right? It's a constant battle. It's a daily, hourly battle, but it is saying this, that Jesus will fold up the garment like my wife folds up one of my t-shirts. It's God saying that of Jesus. Truly astounding, truly amazing. Isn't your Bible fantastic? And then the last one here in verse 13. And which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So Psalm 110 verse 1 talks about God as a, and Christ as a superior vocation, okay? So whereas the chapter ends talking about how uh, angels' purpose is to serve, this reveals that Jesus' purpose is to sit at the right hand of God. In glory, and God will make a footstool of his enemies. As if the book of Hebrews is answering the question, Who is Jesus? He gave a very powerful answer to begin. And then he clarifies it to say, We can't believe that Jesus is some mere angelic spiritual power or figure or force. It's not what the Old Testament ever taught, it's not what the New Testament teaches. The truth is, is that he is superior to angels. And as we will see as we continue to study, he's superior to Moses too. He's superior to the priesthood. The question, as we close, how big is our Jesus, church? Getting very practical. If this is how big our Jesus is, why do our problems seem so large? Why do the people that fill us with fear seem so big? Why does our past seem bigger than Jesus Christ? Because they aren't, and it isn't. He's greater. He's bigger. You see, hope begins in belief. If you believe in a big Jesus, you're able to look at your problems, and all of a sudden, they shrink. You look at your fears, and all of a sudden, they dwindle. You hear the enemy's lies, And you say, no, that's not true. My Jesus is no mere angel. He is supreme over all. Is he supreme in our hearts, friends? Does he reign? Does he rule? Angels worship him. Who are we to think that we can pacify him with superficial religion? He will settle for nothing less than your heart and your devotion. Amen? All right, let me pray. I'm going to invite Frank and Hope to lead us in worship, and we'll spend the last 15 minutes in uh, corporate prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your grace. Let your word fill us with uh, gladness and gratitude as we respond to your word with worship. And let us believe upon, trust upon a Christ that's bigger, more supreme, not only than angels, but anything this world, sin, or Satan may be throwing at us tonight. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen. Let's rise and sing, shall we? Let's respond in praise.